Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Whenever I hear you hit the B in Bearcat, I know it's going to be a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. Indeed, it is Hummer. The Bearcats pulled off a 38-24 easy cover over the Indiana Hoosiers. I don't care what anyone says. That was an impressive, emphatic, and worthy of adoration victory. I'm looking at you, AP voters. Victory for the Cincinnati Bearcats football team. I mean, what do you, what do you think, Hummer? It was just it was a, it was a great day. It was a stressful day. I know the first half was leaving people uneasy, but all in all, you overall that was a really solid performance on the road against a very good team. Fair enough. Look, the first quarter, it was trash, trash, trash. All right, maybe bled into the second quarter, but after after about three minutes in the second quarter, call it four. I don't know. Over under at this point, who cares? It doesn't matter. We went into halftime. We, if you would have told me at, at the at the end of the first quarter that we were going in the halftime, only down four, I would have looked at you like you're crazy. I'd be like, no, there's no way. Like we're gonna be down twenty eight, but no, we went down four, and then guess what? Spread was four, one by eight, one by uh, fourteen. Get out, fourteen. One by get 14. out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Check the math. Anyway, Harbor, we're gonna we'll, we talk wait, about wait, all wait, of- wait, wait. Checks math thirty eight. 24 yep yep checks out checks out we're good we're good we can still do math on this podcast barely hummer we had a great interview today we did uh we've got justin williams on the podcast today and frankly we covered so much ground in that interview that we don't need to do much of an introduction today all i ask is that if you are enjoying and we've got plenty of new listeners i am super thankful and i want to thank everybody who has given the podcast a chance thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Our numbers continue to grow and grow and grow. We truly appreciate it. We are enjoying bringing the content to you. Our goal is to bring you two episodes a week for most of this football and basketball season. So my ask, please, if you're enjoying the podcast, head to iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you rate and review podcasts, please head there, hit us with five stars, leave a funny note for us. We enjoy the notes. Um, I probably should even read the most recent review. It was a good one, um, but please, we, we appreciate it to help spread the word about the podcast. And, and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe we'll shoot up the iTunes rankings to like number 156 in the country or something for college sports. It's a, it's a lofty goal, but one I think we can accomplish. <laughs> and if you are listening to this podcast, we get in the interview, stick to the end. It gets a little juicy. It does get a little <laughs> juicy. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hummer, Justin Williams of the athletic. We are now joined by multiple time guests on the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast, a man who last time shared wisdom on cryptocurrencies and things happening in that space. And, and maybe people may, may or may not have traded based on that information. Uh, Justin Williams, staff writer at The Athletic, is back on the podcast. Thank you, sir, for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast. Thanks for having me back, guys. I think you taught me the phrase diamond hands, diamond fingers. <laughs> what is it last time? <laughs> Oh yeah. Diamond hands, baby. Diamond hands, diamond <laughs> hands. As you can tell, I'm not, my, uh, my financial knowledge does not run, 
run that deep but uh I'm, I'm honored to be back whether my trading advice served people well or not well rest, rest assured it did get wild and crazy there after we chatted uh i can i can tell you uh with 100 certainty i think that, that GameStop is not trading at the numbers that it was before uh when we last talked but uh let's get into some more <laughs> okay see and that's completely irrational to me it doesn't make sense but nonetheless um, let's get into actual Cincinnati Bearcat sports. I think it's best that we stay focused on football, given all that's happening these days. Justin, you traveled, I believe, did you travel to Bloomington for this game? I did, yes. So you're in person, you travel to Bloomington for the Bearcats 38-24, thrashing. There was never a doubt, thrashing of the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, put us put us at the scene, Justin. What could you tell us? I There's been a lot of, a lot of, you know, feedback about the experience in Bloomington. Maybe you don't have as much information about like what the fans were experiencing, but what was the vibe? What was the aesthetic like there in Bloomington this past weekend? Yeah. Fortunately there was water in the press box, which uh, I hear that the rest of the people in attendance didn't have that luxury uh, like at, at halftime, apparently uh, just running out of water and, and beer and any kind of beverage. So I can't speak to it. It was brutally hot. I will say that, that, Stadium is just one of those bowls where there's no coverage anywhere for, you know, people to get relief. So I certainly um, I have a lot of respect for these Cincinnati fans that traveled and inexplicably all agreed to wear black to that game, which I'm sure they were regretting the minute they stepped foot in that stadium. Um, but they, unlike the uh, Hoosier fans, the Bearcats fans stayed till the, the final whistle. So I, I give them a lot of credit for that. Um yeah, you know, it was a it was a very strange game. Sunday and Monday is when I do like the my weekly rewatch. So after after I'm done talking to you guys, I'm going to go dive back into the film. Um, and I'm curious to watch it because especially in that second half, that kind of back and forth, you know, I guess segment where it, you know, the, I think the lead changed five times after halftime. The kick return was kind of right in the middle of there, which always makes it even feel more abrupt because of how quick that happened. I want to go back and watch that, you know, a second time. Cause when it, when the game hit that stride, that was like when it, it started to get fun and just watching it, um, you know, I was invested and, and really interested in it. The, the first half, obviously for, for Bearcats fans was not good or the first 28 minutes, I suppose of, of game time uh, was, was clearly a, a huge struggle. And I do think there are, causes for concern there also and I just think in the immediate aftermath though I was kind of surprised with like how negative some fans were about that stretch like I, I get it it was not pretty at all but you know Indiana's a good team I don't care that they got beat by Iowa um, and I, I know that that historically haven't had a great team that's a really really solid Indiana team that came into the season with some aspirations of you know maybe competing for a big team Big Ten championship or at least Big Ten East championship. They're ranked 20th. Uh, they have big guys just on a broader scale. Their athletics budget is 50 million more dollars a year than Cincinnati's. So I give Cincinnati a lot of credit for the way they battled back and beating that team on the road, um, even if you can still point to some of the, the struggles in the first half. But yeah, just I guess big picture of that game is – you know, I we can get into the the whole Black Cats defense, which I wrote about after the game. But to me, that was kind of the the big takeaway immediately is 
that's what the defense under Marcus Freeman looked like some of the stops they got and the turnovers they created. And so I think it was good to kind of see that for, for really the first time under Mike Tressel, um, obviously only three games in, but then just this team is too good and too veteran and experienced that if you don't, if, if a team like Indiana doesn't put you away and they're not up 28, nothing at halftime, like they could have been like Cincinnati is going to wake up and they're going to kick into gear at some point. And you know, there are going to be situations or, or teams that they face where maybe they won't be able to do that. But there are there are only a handful of teams in the country that I think can can really put this team away. And and that's the reason they're a top 10 club. And and that's why I think they have a chance to do something really special this year. Well, I'll, I'll speak to the fans for for the, the first quarter, because I was definitely maybe one of them. Uh, luckily, I didn't go to ham on Twitter and put that out in the public. Because I was texting, I was texting, I was texting him going ham off this. And I was basically just like, when we start off slow like that, it gets tough. And you start seeing what we, what seems to be the exposures of the team being, being wrecked havoc on the offensive line. And like you said, the defense looked great in the second half, but we were getting run over all, all that first quarter. It was just pound the ball, pound the ball. It's almost like the same thing we saw against Murray state. I think that's where some of the angst came from, from the fans. It's just those, the slow starts. That's something that they talk about, like uh, after the game with Luke, with the fickle and the guys. That's something they're they're discussing. Yeah, I actually thought it was the opposite of the Murray State game. Not they were both slow starts, but I thought Murray State they just kind of came out flat, and you know maybe they're riding this high. If we got in the Big Twelve, we're gonna smoke this FCS team, which they eventually did. But I just I think they were not locked in necessarily for Murray State, and you know I, it's easy to say, well, they're looking ahead, trap game, all that stuff. I just as human nature, you're not as amped up and up for that game as you right. are for Indiana, Notre Dame, UCF, whoever. So I think that was the case of Murray State. I, Indiana, I think they were too keyed up. I think they tried to do a couple things different. They tried to go to like a silent snap count where they're tapping the center before he snaps it. Usually Des just collapse. Des said something after the game about them going off the wristband to call plays, which they usually signal in the play. So I don't know if that was like a environment thing or um a crowd noise thing you know again they're usually signaling so i don't think crowd noise would have factored in that but they also right away tried to huddle i just think they were trying to do all these things to combat what they thought was going to be a crazy environment and it was but it actually took them out of it too much and that's why and i give indiana credit you know they're doing these shifts on the defensive line i think they realized these guys either they either saw something that they thought they could expose that, or they thought maybe they'll be a little jumpy coming in here. So we're going to shift on the line and try and get them to move false starts. They did that. Uh, so, and I agree the the start was concerning. I think that's totally valid for fans to be like, we're too good of a team to come out and play that slow, whether it's Murray state or Indiana, I completely agree also. And this is not unfair. This is just the nature of fandom. Like, Fans are irrational. So when Cincinnati fans are watching this game, they're only thinking of it from the Cincinnati point of view. Whereas I think Indiana's good. And I think they had a really good game plan. And I think you could argue they out-schemed and outplayed and out-coached Cincinnati for the first half. I mean, I don't think that's like a indictment of Fickle or Denbrock or Trestle or anyone. I, you know, Indiana's a good team. And I think it maybe Cincinnati wasn't prepared for how good Indiana actually was or, or how big and how strong they were. Uh, and so I think all of that contributed. So yes, as a Cincinnati fan, you can sit there and be like, man, we're playing terrible. But I also think you have to give credit to how well Indiana started that game. And so Fickle talked about the slow start and maybe some of the things they, they tried to do too much different. He also talked about um, 
Indiana's game plan, they ran a lot of single wide formations, which basically means um, to the wide side of the field, you put all your wide receivers to the short side of the field, you put a couple extra tight ends, a couple blockers. And so it's kind of like unbalanced. Uh, And what that did is sauce plays on the boundary side of the field. Um, And, you know, they put extra blockers on my So they're kind of trying to neutralize Cincinnati's best players. And, you know, we can get into this at some point in the podcast. I think there's a formula to beating Cincinnati. I don't know if it works because not many teams have beaten them in recent years, but I think there's things teams can do. Um, to try to beat them. And Indiana did that. They pounded up the middle against the three-man front. They um, took some of their best defensive players kind of out of it. And on offense, they got after Dez and kind of pressured the quarterback. And Cincinnati had a, Vincent McConnell was, was uh, didn't play their starting right guard and one of their leaders on the offensive line. So Cincinnati finally kind of snapped to it and got into what they do well. But I, I as much as I think you can point to a lot of things that Cincinnati did wrong and did bad at the start of that game. I also was looking at it thinking like, man, Indiana's playing really well. They were playing very well. And I think that uh, Cincinnati Bearcat fans in general are carrying this burden of, we have a season where we have the highest expectations we've ever had. We're carrying, we, we are expecting undefeated and every sign of, of slippage or losing that is, is, the worst thing in the world, because frankly, if this team loses one game, it's going to be an immense disappointment to a lot of fans fair or unfair. That's just the reality. Um, and a quick tangent, just to kind of put you into the, into the mind of this Cincy slang and podcast, as this is happening, I told you before the podcast started that I was driving out to a Clifton sparkle Wales U eight soccer game around, I think it was one 30 in the afternoon of this game. So I was the game, the score was 14, nothing. I just heard Dan Horde call, um, Penix juniors. I think, uh, the second touchdown they scored, it was like a five yard passing touchdown. I hear Dan Hord's call it's 14, nothing. And Hummer is just blowing me up with like six or seven texts, which I can't let the car read because I have kids in the car and I know exactly <laughs> what's happening. And the None last of them thing, are that bad. The last, <laughs> just what in my head, I'm picturing what you're saying. And, and the last thing I say to Hummer before I, before I head to the field is look, if you're going to tweet from the, the, the account, please, or and, and all this negativity, please just send it from the personal account. <laughs> that was my final parting uh, words of wisdom to Hummer. Now I, I get out after the game, I turned my phone on and the game was, I think 30 to 24 Bearcats, which just shows you how crazy of a third quarter it really was. Anyway, that was a long tangent. I just thought it was a funny story and I wanted to tell it. In, Let's in, get all, back- in all fairness though, when he's getting that message, it's right after, right after the Des fumble and Williams goes to try to pick up the ball and run with it one-handed. And I started texting him, trash, trash, trash. Like, just fall on the ball. Fall on the effing ball. Like, you know, I, I that, mean, that's, that's where my mind was there. I, that's probably the exact message John Williams heard when he when he walked over to the sideline and, and then stayed there for the rest of the game. So I don't know that it's unfair for you to have, have said that because, uh, yeah, he should have just fallen on the ball. So um, I was, I was going to get keep it. it. I was going to keep it on defense, but I think Hummer naturally transitioned us to the offensive line here. That was one of the big changes we saw as the game went on um, is that Tunstall really started getting, I think all of the reps basically to close out the game. He ended up uh, getting, you know, out snapping Williams by quite a bit. Do we think that's sort of the moment where someone has seized control of that left tackle position? Do we think that is a, a pivotal moment in terms of how our offensive line rotation plays out the rest of the season? 
maybe i mean honestly going into the game they had rotated those first couple games and i don't think the plan was to rotate going into indiana now probably definitely not after mcconnell was out because that's just you know one last guy you would rotate any you know have have somebody behind him who you would rotate so mets is starting i think they were they liked the way john williams played the first two games more than tunstall honestly but you know I think they probably looked at that situation. They're like, you can't make a mistake like that. Not in this game. Again, I'm sure fall on the effing ball is a message. These offensive linemen have heard over and over again. And so I'll have to go back and look. I don't think John Williams came back in after that play. Um, I, I don't remember seeing him back out there after that. So I think it was a situation where they were like, all right, we're going to put James in as kind of not a punishment, but like you, you can't screw up and, and not have any repercussion. We're going to put James in now. Lorenz Metz played great at guard, but if James Tunstall came in and looked like peach bowl, second half Lorenz Metz, I bet they would have forgiven John Williams a lot quicker, but I think Tunstall came in and played well and they were like, all right, let's just, let's roll with it. And so whether that means he is now the left tackle the rest of the season, I don't know um, because they are big on like, you have to earn your spot, but he came in in a big moment, a big game and played really well. So I would not be at all surprised. You know, we saw it last year when they put O'Quinn and Renfro in like week four, game four, not week four. Cause all the cancellations and stuff they put them in the fourth game of the year and they played well and they kind of just rode with it so if if james tunstall's the starting left tackle going forward that wouldn't surprise me can we all just acknowledge though that that pickup by john williams was ex- extremely smooth and looked quite good and i i was it, no hey would you have <laughs> no no you you fall that, that bad boy off 100 out of 100 incredible. times you fall on that ball because you pick up the one the one hand the way he did and that's what happens you refumble it and you lose you lose the ball you fall on it because you're not you're a lineman all right you're not going to run that ball 90 90 yards for the score off the fumble just fall on the ball the, the good thing about the way it happened because they ended up winning maybe not a good thing for john williams but for the rest of all of these coaches careers like for the rest of ron cook crook's career when he says you better fall on a fumble, he's going to show that clip and be like, yes. this is why I'm telling you, you think you can pick it up and just run 30 yards with it. You're wrong. This is what's going to happen. So, you know, John Williams is he's young. He's a sophomore. He's, he's still going to have a spot on this team. Maybe even this season. It's, he's certainly not, you know, we're not, it's not like we're never going to hear from him again. Um, but it's credit not an unforgivable to, offense. It's not unforgivable. No, no. again, especially because they, they won. Um, and again, though, if, if John credit Williams- to Tunstall, yeah, if he was playing like 2020 James Hudson, they're probably less inclined to make that switch. So I imagine it is it is capturing somewhat how close the competition is between Tunstall and Williams. It will be interesting, I suppose, to see against Notre Dame, which is two weeks away, um, how that plays out. And if Tunstall seizes control of it or if over the next two weeks there's a chance for Williams to get back in the good graces of, of, uh, of the coaching staff. Um, and it's never a bad thing to have three guys who can play tackle either. So that's an, that's another positive. Correct. You never know when you're going to need a guy to slide in in the second half of a peach bowl. <laughs> um, let, let's talk a little bit more about the offensive line. And I think the big thing that that stood out in that first half is, you know, we had started a personal uh, false start counter in this game because of how every single possession we were setting ourselves back five yards or so with um, false start penalties. And I think you alluded to maybe why, what may have been one of the causes, which is they're, they're playing around with snap counts and uh, silent counts and things of that nature. But what, what's the deal there, Justin, you know, what's the coaching staff saying about the offensive lines inability to, to just get off the ball correctly. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's odd is, well, first of all, 
if we're going to talk about the Peach Bowl, we have to praise zero of those false starts were on Lorenz Metz. Um, <laughs> Shout so, out to Lorenz So credit, Metz. credit to that young, large man who I think played really well at right guard. Uh, he's found, he's found a, a bit of his footing at the right guard position. Yes. Um, so credit to him for not jumping. It, it was weird because I, I think two of them were on Renfro, which it, that's not a problem he had last year, but I think he got one last week too. So that's just out of character um, for a center at all, but even a center as good as Renfro to, to get a couple of those. I think it was they were really keyed up for a big game. Yes, the crowd was loud, which certainly added to that, but I think more the shifting Indiana was doing um, you know, along the front. I, I think I'd have to go back. Maybe they got one in the second half. Maybe it was none. I, I can't remember. I think but they had I think one, it, and I think I don't think it was on the offensive line. I think it was actually one of the I think it was oh yeah. Mike Young got one on the, yeah, they, they were going to go Young. for two. Um, They're going to go for two on one of those touchdowns and, and he jumped. But so I think it was big game. Players were a little antsy keyed up and Indiana took advantage of it by, by moving around, you know, we'll see as the season goes on, but to me, it didn't strike me as like a, something that's going to be a persistent problem. So let's give them some credit, though. Um, Hummer, Hummer, I'll give you credit for this. And that's the fact that if I think you said if, if we can eliminate, if we remove false starts from the equation and penalties from the equation, once we actually did snap the ball and Des Ritter either drop back to pass or we hand off to Ford for a run, that's when the offensive line seemed to do a pretty solid job overall in terms of blocking. We're, we're three games into the season, Justin. What do you? This was supposed to be maybe one of the quote-unquote weaknesses of the Bearcats or the Achilles here heel. If you're trying to to game theory out what would bring this team down, a lot of people pointed to the offensive line as as the potential culprit. But so far this season, it seems to be overall pretty solid results. If you if you eliminate penalties from that equation, what do you think the feedback is and, and kind of the happiness level is within the team about their performance so far this season, just in terms of doing their job? Yeah, I mean, I think especially the the second half, you have to be happy with the way they played. Uh, they played really well uh, against Miami and Murray State, but they should play really well against Miami and Murray State. So I don't know how much you take away from that. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to think other than the the fumble John Williams play, which, you know, without seeing it in front of me, I don't know if that was uh, a sack on John Williams or on someone else or on Des for holding it. I'll, I'll have to go back and look. But how many how many sacks did Indiana even have? It couldn't have been too many. One was that. I mean, that's the only one that I remember was the the strip sack. So that's a, a credit to them. They didn't run the ball quite as well. Four, they only had four loss tackles for losses too. So yeah, and they they didn't run the ball as well as they had the first couple of weeks. But you know, they Ford still was effective, and they were still, especially in those you know third and shorts, uh, a couple fourth downs, they were able to you know, get yards when they needed it. So, yeah, I think they're happy. The coaching staff is really impressed with Dylan O'Quinn at right tackle. That was a guy they kind of kicked out there in part because they didn't know if they were going to have Tunstall, you know, eligible um, if he was going to get his waiver. And not that O'Quinn played bad in spring, but I think they were kind of like, you know, he was really good at guard, but he wasn't so great in spring at tackle. Is it worth keeping him out there? And he's the progress he made over the summer. They've been really happy with. Uh, So he does a good job there. Renfro, those weird false starts aside, I mean, he's he's a dude. Uh, they, they really like him. He's a great center. And, you know, Metz is another example. Metz isn't a starter, but this is a guy where they're like, he's too big and talented for us to not find something to do with him. And the answer was guard. I mean, they they were really happy with the way he's played, um, you know, there all offseason. So 
I think they're happy overall with, with the performance there. And, uh, you know, Notre Dame lost a lot of guys in the defensive line. I, I'm trying to think of what the best defensive line they'll play all season is. And it's probably either Indiana or Notre Dame. And aside from the false starts, they fared pretty well against Indiana. Yeah, I would have expected it to be Notre Dame, but I, I haven't, uh, you know, dived into those stats necessarily. Um, I'm just so, reluctant to give Central Florida any kind of props whatsoever. <laughs> um, just not going to do it. Big Cat is good. The guy they got from Auburn, he's he's been really stout. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just – I don't know that there's anyone they'll play in conference that's going to be as good as Indiana or Notre Dame. Up right. Front. Yeah, so we are we are heading into that Notre Dame game here in two weeks, and now once you get through that Indiana hurdle, it feels like, and and D- Dylan Gabriel's out for an extended period here now for Central Florida, it does feel like there's there's a huge opportunity here for the Bearcats. Um, you know, Des Ritter in this game, what I love about Des is he can start out cold, he can start out and make some some bad plays, have some bad moments. One of the reasons that I always feel pretty confident in the Bearcats is that he always seems to remain level-headed, dialed in. I'm going to get back, get it back on the next play. The, the belief never seems to fade for him, um, but he did struggle mightily in that first half in particular with accuracy. And, and it was on simple throws, like simple screens where he's throwing them really hard to Michael Young uh, Jr. or he's throwing it too early or just not the right touch. Um, aberration, just the moment, the, the, the size of the moment. What do we, what, what's our takeaway on Dez's performance overall in this game? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. Um, I'm with you. I, I think he always, you know, he does a good job of kind of having a short memory and bouncing back if, if he has uh, a rough play. And he's always kind of done that, but I think that's even a little bit different this season. You know, I wrote about this when I wrote a big feature of him before the year started. I think he got a lot of confidence when he went, you know, to the the Manning camp and when he went to work out with, with Jordan, Jordan Palmer in California. And I think be, the reason why is, he wasn't on all these like elite 11 circuits and elite 11 circuits and, and things like that when he was coming up because he was kind of just a unheralded three-star prospect. And so I think he got a chance to go and even if he wasn't playing against them or working out with them, like be around some of these other top tier college quarterbacks and NFL quarterbacks. And, you know, Gino Gadouli said this to me for that piece. Like, I think he realized these guys don't know half of what I know, or, you know, these guys aren't as good as I am. They aren't as strong as I am. They aren't as big as I am. And I think even just being able to kind of measure himself against these guys and realize like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on the same level or if not better than a lot of them, that has just kind of given him confidence going out there this season. You know, he missed a couple of throws early in that Murray state game too. So I don't know if it's a product of like him having to settle into the game and being a little bit too keyed up. I, you know, I think you could make that argument. Same thing with the offensive line yesterday when he's whipping some of those balls, but he did miss a, miss a couple against Murray state. I, I don't think he would have been too keyed up against Murray state. The thing I noticed, and I asked fickle about this after the game, I think when, when it, it changed for him and we've seen this in games in the past, when he's picks up a couple first downs running, it just seems to settle him down. And I also think it, freaks out the defenses because they know coming in like yeah this guy can run but until you see him just jogging past you for a first down and you know oh we had great coverage we had great push and he still got out and burned us it puts them on their heels it feels like for the rest of the game because they're so worried about it 
they don't want to Cincinnati doesn't want to lean on that too much because they don't want him to get hurt. And I totally get that, but it almost always feels like he really gets in a groove when he can pick up a couple first downs, even if it's like third and four, you know, RPO, he runs out of bounds, gets a first down that always seems to settle him down and get him in a groove. So I, I think, you know, especially in big games, like Indiana, Notre Dame, Cincinnati might be well served to like design a couple little runs uh, for him because yes, the, the targeting penalty was big and it took out their middle linebacker, but almost immediately after that, he had two runs on that drive. One, I think was like a design draw. One was that bobbled snap where he took off. And that seemed to just really get him kind of in his lane uh, and, and calm down moving forward. We saw that last year, you know, the, those first few games where he was kind of looking out of his rhythm and we all kept saying, Des needs to run more, Des needs to run more. And then they kind of let, it's like they kind of let Des do Des. Let Des be Des, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're talking about well, if we didn't have those first three games, we're we're looking at a Heisman quarterback candidate in Des Ritter. But those first three games kind of knocked it off, and that's kind of where I think I was texting Coomer, at least talking to Coomer about it earlier. It was like, I do want to see Des run the ball a little more. Not like you said, like, I get it, you don't want to get him hurt, but yeah, you know what? Let him run a little bit, scare him because it does keep the defense on their toes at the end of the day, knowing that you have a guy who can throw the chuck the ball down the field 60 yards, but then also be able to, to sprint and take off and be down 30 yards downfield before you even see where he's at. Um, I think they need to let him let him go a little bit more. Yeah, I even think even if it's just early, letting him do it, you know, you, I, I get why they don't want to run him 12 times. Um, you don't want to you know put his body on the line like that. But if he runs four or five times a game, just make two of them in the first quarter to kind of let him get in that groove and, and get defenses on their heels a little bit. Um, and then he can, you know, do it a couple more times or kind of pull it out when you need it or don't call it at all if you don't need it. But, you know, and I'm, I am by no means a, you know, a coach or a coordinator or anything like that. So, you know, I'm, I could be talking out of my butt, but it just from watching it from the press box and knowing, you know, having watched every game Des has played in his career at Cincinnati, that always seems to settle him down and kind of freak defenses out. And how many of his greatest moments as a Bearcat come, you know, when these late game plays where he's either breaking open a play, it's usually with his legs. He's made tons of incredible plays with his legs. Um, we have a working theory that they don't like doing it against subpar competition, that they know they're going to overpower and dominate either defensively, or we can just air the ball out against this team. We're not worried about it. You know, I kind of want to see this team push the envelope a little bit against Notre Dame and against some of the best teams we play this year where it's like, hey, Des, we probably need 12 rushes out of you this game. And it's it's a dangerous game because those are also the teams that probably can punish you the most and punish your quarterback the most when they leave the pocket. But um, it feels like in those types of games, Indiana, Notre Dame, that's where Des really needs to be you know, let loose uh, to break a defense down with his legs. Speaking of legs, I did. we'll kind of wrap up the offensive talk here, but uh, you wrote a good piece on sort of the – What's the uh, the word Des used to describe Ford was lackadaisical, which yes. was was an interesting choice because when you I think that's how you led the article and when I first read it lackadaisical to me kind of has like a negative connotation. You go on to sort of explain that it, it's lackadaisical, but it's more just maybe reserved. He's he's a, a reserved person who's not as uh, outward with his emotions or his or his behaviors on the field. Like he's not going to be the guy who's going to necessarily get the crowd pumped after a touchdown though he very much did after an Indiana touchdown this game where he was very amped up and very outward with his emotions it feels like we're, we're kind of heading to a place where we're, we're starting to realize and maybe not just Cincinnati but the nation at large is going to realize how talented this this running back is 
and that he is going to end up being maybe the, the real key to this offense going forward. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the things I wrote about is Cincinnati's identity under fickle has kind of been like a ground and pound control, the clock control the game on the ground and the difference between Ford and Mike Warren and even Jared Dokes is you can do that and still be explosive with Ford because he can pop an 80 yard at any moment, but he also, I, it was a little bit less than this uh, Saturday against Indiana, but like coming into the game, he was averaging over six yards a carry. I think that's what he did last season too. Like, you know, he just, he has that ability to rip off big gains or at least be ripping off good chunks of yardage every time. And, you know, that's a little bit different. Mike Warren was awesome and, and they needed, the way the offense was built around Mike Warren, they needed that at the time because the wide receivers weren't very good. Des wasn't where he is yet. So they had to have this offense where Mike Warren runs for two yards, two yards, two yards, 20 times, and then rips off a 30, 40 yarder because he just wears defenses out. They don't need to do that anymore. Um, and Ford allows them to kind of be a little bit more dynamic, but yet yeah, just outside of, of kind of his ability there, he's, he's just built different than, you know, a lot of guys they have in general. This is this is Brady Collins. I, I cannot take credit for it, but Brady recently described the strength coach for the Bearcats, described Jerome as looking like um someone took an axe to his back, meaning like his back comes down and then he's got a big butt. And like he basically's oh. like, that's that's what Zeke <laughs> Elliott looked like. It looks like someone chopped him, you know, in the back with an axe because it's like a cutout. And, you know, he's he's built like a, you know, a, an NFL running back and he's going to be an NFL running back. Uh, and when when he says it and he, he probably described it better than I could. But now that's all I can see. Like when I see Jerome Ford running, it's like somebody, you know, Jack Torrance him in the, so in the back. Jerome Ford. Jerome Ford is officially a member of the Larry Fitzgerald great ass club. That's, I, where <laughs> that's certain. That's certainly fair. Um, so, yeah, he's just he's built like a freak, but he also you know, in addition to having that, he has really good vision. Um, he's able to do kind of the little things you need to do as a running back and look, it's cliche, but that's why he went to Alabama. Like, you know, yeah. Alabama can get those guys. And he, he was there at Alabama and played some now, obviously he's behind Najee Harris and, uh, you know, some other guys. So he ends up going somewhere else, but it's, it's no mistake that he ended up in that backfield because he has that level of talent. In your piece, I think you also speculated that Indiana would be a perfect opportunity where you, the coaching staff could see his carries push up to 20 in that game. And he ended up exactly at 20 carries, uh, maybe the sweet spot for where the coaching staff sees him and maybe the most high leverage games of the season uh, going forward. Any Hummer, any final questions or thoughts on the offense before we move to the defense? Cause I actually think in some ways the defense is a little more interesting to talk about because of, their performance in this game, what we've seen so far this season, and uh, and and the, and the change we're seeing in the in the defensive coordinator position. Yeah, I don't have any questions because I mean the next group, the only one we haven't talked about is receiving, and frankly, that is just uh, everybody is doing everything. You know, it's not like you have like a, you know, you you did have a standout Alec Pierce this week, but everybody seems to be doing everything on from the receiving receiving end of things. So on the defensive side of the ball though, I just want to hit Darian Beavers, man. He seems to be everywhere. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who when he transferred in, I guess two years ago, that that first season, he he was lost. Like he came in and he technically was the starter at sniper over Jarrell. Um 
and Jarrell used to drive the coaches nuts. So I think that was part of it, but like Jarrell beat him out. Cause he was just, you know, you look at Darian Beavers and you look at Jarrell white and you're like, well, Darian Beavers is going to be the better football player. He's a beast. And Jarrell beat him out because he played aggressive. He played fast. And I think Beavers just wasn't totally comfortable in the system, you know, with himself playing linebacker. And, you know, this, this story has been told or it's got, you know, I think I've even written about it when the pandemic hit, Beavers went to the coaching staff last off season and like talked about opting out because he, he realized, I think he had a chance to be really good, but he didn't want to kind of waste it on a season where you don't have any games you're going to play or, or what it's going to look like. And he realized he had a chance to, to be an NFL linebacker. Um, and then it ended up working out because everyone got the pandemic year. So like he didn't walk in senior night last year. He always knew he was coming back for his, his COVID pandemic season. And we're seeing why we saw signs of it last season where I think he was second team all conference, but he had a really good year, but the guy has just completely developed into his, into his own. I mean, to, to look at him is you're, it's one of those kind of like looking at Jerome Ford. You're like, this guy is just completely built like an NFL linebacker. Um, but he's, I think he's gotten a lot smarter and more instinctive with the way he's played. He's talked a lot about Trestle's focus on pre-snap recognition. And I think he's really taken to that. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean that the game, Saturday was a perfect indication he's flying all over the place making tackles and when they the team needs a huge play he's the guy that got that force fumble down by the goal line what we call it when you're a senior and you don't walk we call that the anti Mamadou Diara that's the the exact <laughs> opposite of what walking as a junior is I think do I have that right <laughs> fair enough of, of all the gosh I forgot about that of all the <laughs> crazy things that happened with last basketball season that yeah that one was one that slipped my mind that was great but you're it's, you're right i mean I'm, I'm the leader of the mamadou diara fan club so i should know it it's my duty to know it and it's my duty to mention him as many times as a podcast as i can Fair let's enough. let's <laughs> chat more you your piece you mentioned it the most recent piece you have on the athletic which i highly recommend people go check out um your takeaway from the game was sort of how this this defense looked like the black cats of old and, and a lot of that was re- referring to the, the turnovers they're forcing. And let's be honest, I mean, Indiana got inside the 10-yard line, I think, three different times and came away with zero points. Uh, two of them were turnovers. One of them was a stop on a fourth and one. As a Bearcat fan, that's great, right? You're thinking our defense stepped up at, at, the, most needed to- at the most needed time, um, forced, for, forced Penix into turnovers, Stop them uh, when you think they're going to score and maybe stretch this lead or, or, or take the lead back. The other way to look at this is that Indiana did get to inside the 10 yard line three different times and came away with no points. And how often is that going to happen? Is the defense bending more than maybe we would have expected so far this season? You know, one, one thing I've speculated on is Elijah Ponder was really good at football. And I, and there was, you know, Wiggins was very good at football forest Jarrell white, some of these guys left and we know that there's a lot of talent following behind them, but let's face it, that was NFL level talent uh, or, or just below it with in white's case, but at, at four different positions, are we, are we seeing maybe some of the talent gap from the prior year? What, do, what are your thoughts on that, Justin? I think that's maybe part of it. I do think, you know, I wrote about it a little bit. I was going to write about it a little bit more in my, my rewatch piece probably for Tuesday. So the, the slanging fans are going to get it for free. Please subscribe to the athletic. Anyways, um, that defense last year probably doesn't get enough credit for how 
how amazing it was. I mean, at at one point, I think before going before the Peach Bowl, they were the best in college football in terms of yards per play allowed, like three point four yards. That's not necessarily what like the Black Cat defense was. the The whole thing that Marcus Freeman built was play fast, play aggressive, create havoc, create turnovers. If you make a mistake, make a mistake going 100 miles an hour. It wasn't like a robot army that always played in their assignment. Um, now, they're, they were good enough that they would shut teams down, especially like in the American. Some of those inferior teams are going to shut down. Or they were fast and big enough where if you were trying to spread them out, they were, you know, even a team like UCF, they could kind of bottle it up. But the, the bend but don't break was – I think honestly was kind of a big part of that defense's ethos, you know, going back, think about how many big interceptions or turnovers this team has had in the red zone, going back to 2018, the Ohio game, when Wiggins makes that interception on the goal line, 2019, before the sauce play in the third quarter, Cam Jeffries in the first half had that big interception down by the goal line, the peach bowl. Last year, Kobe Bryant has a pick in the end zone. So, you know, again, these are, I'm just pulling out different examples, but I think it might have been 2019. It felt like there were a handful of games where that, that team gave up touchdowns on the first drive and then just completely shut teams down after that because I think they just they're a, a rhythm, aggressive, instinctive defense. And what they are all, all about is creating turnovers, creating momentum, and not as much like we're gonna completely, you know, bottle teams up and, and shut them down. And so I think that's what they kind of got back to against Indiana. Yes, you would prefer if you just three and out every time and never let teams flip field position. And they did that a lot last year. And we probably even in the moment didn't give that defense enough credit for like how good it was at also, you know, creating having turnovers, but also just completely bottling teams up. They held Memphis to 10 points. I think SMU scored seven points last year. Like I don't know that that's what mo- many defenses can do. So credit to them for, for doing that last season, but the way they created turnovers kept the offense in the game and created momentum was very reminiscent to me of more like the 2018, 19 kind of black hat defense that, that Freeman built. That's a great explanation for it. And I think there's, there's no player that has encapsulated that more this season for me personally than Deshaun pace. And I do want to make sure we're touching on him and and his sort of rise to stardom within the Cincinnati fan base on the defensive side. We talked about Des Ritter maintaining cool and always, having that short-term memory. This defense is the other reason that I that I was, I was able to remain calm in the first half, knowing that they're going to keep us in the game, either with stops, turnovers, whatever the case may be. Um, and I think it, what it, this Indiana dig game did do is remind me exactly what you said. That defense last season was so uniquely special where you almost, I don't think I felt stressed the entire season last year until the Peach Bowl. I just never felt nervous. I never felt uncomfortable. I watched games, you know, sipping on my martinis, um, just not worried about a thing because they didn't even let teams move the ball. But this season, it seems a little more normal. It seems a little more like, hey, we sometimes we are going to give up some yards and we are going to give up some plays. But the playmakers are still all over the field in terms of ball hawks. I mean, obviously, Sauce is someone you don't want to throw. And it's almost comical how effortlessly he, he's making plays when they do actually try him out there. Uh, the play of him just swatting it down with his lanky arm in the in in sort of the one of the final drives for Indiana was was weird because the guy did look open and Sauce just casually swats the ball down. But you got Sauce, you've got Pace, you've got uh, Bush making plays out there. 
I want to get back to pace and see what your thoughts on him were. I think he was one of the revelations from camp. What is he? Well, is he sort of do that? Before that, let's go back here and talk about you sipping on martinis <laughs> during football games. Like that's your drink of choice. I mean, it was just a, it's just an example. I, I hardly drink at all anymore. Hummer. It's just not, it's not what I do, but it was just, <laughs> it was for the story. Uh, you went strong though. You went hard. You went straight for the martini. You went straight for like the vodka with a little bit of like dirty olive juice. Yeah. I pictured the one <laughs> drink that I would probably be least likely to be sipping on and use that, that for my story uh, or my, yeah, my anecdote. So Deshaun Pace is someone who's just, he stands out. He's making tackles. I think he's led the team in tackles for multiple games. Now, obviously had that critical um, interception there toward the end of the game. He looks like a safety on the field, but he's playing linebacker. Um, feels like a bit of a revelation for the Bearcats this season. Yeah, no, he's, he's been awesome. And, you know, the coaching staff kind of felt like he could be like this. You mentioned the, the safety thing. It, it, it's funny. It's, I, I think a lot of people think of that sniper position as a linebacker because it's kind of part of that three, three, five, but a lot of the coaches will consider it a safety. Like Freeman used to always consider it a safety. Um, it technically like Brian Mason, you know, Trestle coaches linebackers. Freeman used to coach linebacker, but Brian Mason, who's a special teams coordinator, he also coaches the sniper. So it's like a separate position coach. Um, so like it looks, he looks like a safety because he's supposed to look like a safety. That's kind of the way that position is, is built. Um, but no, he's really good. When he came in last year as a true freshman, he was the guy, if you were, if anytime we would ask, is there a freshman that can, you know, come on and play right away? Um, and the answer was always pace on defense. And he didn't get a ton of opportunities to, uh, in large part because Jarrell White and Ty Van Fossen, you know, were ahead of him. And, and they, you know, Jarrell was first team all conference and uh, Van Fossen had some moments last year too. But right away they realized like this, this guy can play. And it was the same thing coming into this season. You know, technically Van Fossen started the first two games and he might've even started Indiana. I don't know, but pace has passed him, you know, it's going to, it's a one, a one B situation. Both those guys are going to play, but you know, paces, it's now becoming a situation where they can barely keep him off the field. And, you know, Mason talked to me about this for a piece I wrote before the season, they view pace as kind of a, a playmaker on defense, the same way that Jarrell was, where he just always seems to have a nose for the football, you know, knows how to flash and make plays has really good instincts. And you saw that on that, the, the last intercept, interception of the of the game certainly was not a very difficult one because it was a terrible pass by Penix. But like, you know, if you watch it, that's just it's instincts. He knows exactly what Penix is going to do, even though he, Penix shouldn't be doing it. And Pace just zips right in front and makes a great play and like looked like a tight end or a receiver the way he was running it back. And I think he played receiver at Colerain too. So no, he he's very good, and he's going to continue to be really good, and that's a guy that they're they're excited for. I, I think they didn't want to put a ton of like hyper pressure on him going into the season because he's so young, but you know, the staff was now. yeah, the staff was high on this guy, and we're seeing why. No, I've heard you, I've heard you say someone was like you know an NFL running back. Are you ready to put the stamp on Deshaun Pace as an NFL linebacker? Not yet. Not yet. All Not right. Yet. He's, Can't get the hot take out of you yet. No, he's got it. He's got to do it for a little bit longer, but he's uh he's certainly on a good path. And if he was uh, in front of my face and requesting I say it, then I would gladly say it to him because he's a big scary dude. I do like that bit though, as as a future bit with Justin Hummer, is while we talk to him, we just pause during the show and just see if we can we just stop and say, What about this hot take? 
and we see what the hottest take we can possibly get out of Justin is during a podcast. <laughs> Someone who is notoriously anti-hot take, but it, it, it sounds like a fun game. So if you want to try it again later, let's do it. <laughs> um, I, got, I got one more shot. I know I'm know where I'm I know where I'm I know where I'm taking it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see if it gets there. The other the other name on the defense we should probably chat about is my Jay Sanders, where it, it's been a fairly from just a statistics standpoint in terms of racking up sacks or, or being in the backfield nonstop uh, disrupting plays, it hasn't necessarily been maybe what people were expecting and maybe even my Jay himself was expecting this season. But when you look at, you know, like pro football focus his his grading, it doesn't grade out poorly. He's still been effective while on the field, particularly in run defense, which is not something he's known for are what, what do you think is kind of preventing my Jay from really getting it going from a pass pass rushing standpoint so far yeah I, i'm surprised especially after the way he looked at camp I, I thought he would come out and you know have multiple sacks per game uh i think what we're seeing is other teams think that too and they're game planning against him and you know murray state's game plan in general was just like we're gonna hike it and throw the ball as fast as we possibly can <laughs> right. um which was not a bad strategy honestly like credit to them for that uh so my day was part of that but that was just everybody in general but I thought Indiana had a really good game plan. You know, we talked about the single wide thing to kind of neutralize sauce at cornerback. And just, there were a lot of times where he was, he didn't have a receiver on his side of the field. Uh, and I think that was smart. And similar to, to my Jay, I think they were overloading him, you know, where he was on, on the defensive line and putting extra blockers in, maybe shading away from him a little bit. And we're going to see teams do that, especially as they get into conferences, teams that have been haunted by him, you know, the past couple of years anyways, you know, they're going to do what they can. Now, my day is definitely going to be frustrated by that, but I think at least from what I've seen so far, and he, there was one point he got pretty frustrated uh, during that game yesterday. I'm not exactly sure what it was about, but as long as he can continue to go hard and kind of create pressure, even if he's not getting there and, and making plays, it's going to open things up for everybody else. I think Malik Vans played really well, and I, I just think he's had a good year in general, but I'm sure part of that is because of the attention my Jay's getting. Um, and so, you know, I, I I can't remember exactly what the stretch was. Maybe it was in the second quarter, maybe the third quarter, but I remember watching that game Saturday and thinking, like, my Jay, it's not showing up on the stats, but he's impacting this game in a big way. And, you know, the, the challenge for him is going to be, can you continue to do that if you have two or three guys in front of you and you're not racking up the sack numbers. Uh, and so I think that'll be interesting to see, but it, it kind of reminds me of Wiggins last year, you know, where Wiggins wasn't, you know, he, he's coming back off the injury. He wasn't having flashy stats or plays. And part of me thought maybe that was because he wasn't playing as well. And from talking to coaches, it was like, no teams aren't, if, if Wiggins is on this side of the field, they're not thrown over there. They're not challenging him. And, they can't, it's not the same thing with a defensive lineman, but it's more like, we're going to do what I can, what we can to make sure this guy doesn't hurt us. And so it's, it's not showing up in the stats, but I still think he's impacting the game. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it's almost to the point to where like you look at, you look at guys like my Jay, look at, at Gardner and their lack of stats is a good thing because other teams are looking at this like that's out of bounds. Don't, don't throw over where sauce is, wherever he is, throw the other, the complete opposite direction, stay away from him. And you saw that they repeatedly went after Kobe Bryant. They, they, that's who they were. That's who Indiana seemed to be picking on all game was throwing in, in Kobe Bryant's direction. And even, you know, like, I don't think Indi Indiana had that great of a game against us in the air. I think we did a fantastic job uh, on that front. And, you know, 
I think they have a huge impact and that's what's allowing guys like Beavers to come in and do his thing too, because they are, they are focusing extra resources on these guys, which is opening up opportunities on their side of the field for guys to make plays. Justin, it's time to put your feet to the fire. Oh, boy. oh yeah, we, we've kind of we've we've got to talk a little bit about your your sports writing brethren out there. Um, the AP the AP poll comes out again, and the Bearcats stay at eight. It's, it's do you, do you it's, get a ballot by the way? I do not have one. Do we know how many writers from the Athletic get one? I believe Matt Brown, who's one of our editors, I think he's the only Athletic. Um, employee i guess uh who has and i'm not sure what i'd have to go look and see what he voted this week matt's like he's a huge college football nerd he has like a this is for real he has a database going back to like 1900 of every college football game ever played like an excel sheet that sounds exaggerated but it it might be it's not 1900 but it's it goes back a long time so uh i whatever matt votes uh, i certainly know that he he puts effort into it but uh yes i don't i have not been granted that Haughty privilege. Well, I, th- I think many people would say, look, Cincinnati Bearcat fans, calm down. A, this is the AP poll. This is not the college football playoff poll. This doesn't even technically matter that much. Yada, yada, yada. Then there's also uh, the folks who would say, you're number eight in the country. You should be happy. This is a great ranking. Bearcats are in the mix. We're in the conversation. But what we're seeing is, you know, teams and schools like Penn State, Oregon, Iowa, effortlessly jump the Bearcats when they have, you know, a quote unquote big victory. And, and some of them are Oregon winning at Ohio state is certainly a big victory. Um, when Penn state winning at home against Auburn, you know, I don't know. It, it feels a bit like it's the same as, as Cincinnati going to Indiana and winning uh, yet. They see, you know, five spot jumps in the rankings. Joe, Joe Barnett, friend of the podcast tells me this is something we shouldn't worry about. Don't start worrying about this until October 3rd. What say you about these ranking shenanigans? Is this something that we should be concerned about because of what it might, you know, foretell in the future with regard to how the college football playoff rankings will play out if we even go undefeated? Um, or is this something that is just much ado? I guess that depends on what what are you worried about? If you're a Bearcats fan and you're you're working from the premise, we're beating Notre Dame, we're going undefeated. Are we going to get in the playoff? Then if, if that's your starting point, and I think that's a really tough point for them, for Cincinnati to get to, but if that's your starting point, then yes, I think you should be only concerned, but you, you, you have license to be pissed off about these rankings because correct. The, the CFP rankings don't have, you know, the, the, the AP and coaches polls don't matter when that comes out, but I'm on these CFP conference calls. They do every week after the rankings come out they definitely pay attention to that stuff and they will gladly and willingly use it as their reasoning for something. So if someone's like, why do you have, you know, Cincinnati below Clemson, then they can say, well, you know, Clemson's in the coaches poll they're ahead of him. And then, you know, I, I did think it was at least um, good that in the AP poll, I think Clemson dropped below Cincinnati to number nine, which after uh, that dominating <laughs> six point victory over Georgia tech at home, um, you know, I, it is, it is much ado about nothing. And it's one of those things where like, it's hard for me to get too invested in and, and care about because it's people, you know, voting, whether it's coaches, coaches, staffers, or, uh, or media members doing it. But if, if you're a Bearcats fan and that's what you care about, then 
I'm not going to tell you it's it's stupid to get upset about it because uh, I think you could certainly make the case they deserve to be higher or they're not, you know, they're not being judged by the same criteria as some of the other teams. I think I was really good and I would beat Iowa State, who was ranked really high, but I also got a huge bump from beating Indiana at home to start the season. And Correct. it doesn't seem like, you know, Cincinnati is getting the same respect for going on the road and doing it yesterday. So yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing let's, is let's, let's, Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're talking about the big jumps. Talk about, about your opinion here. What, where would you have the Bearcats ranked if you had an AP ballot? What would be so your this, ballot? This is the other problem right now. I don't know how much higher they should be right now. <gasps> I guess you could... I guess which you could fair, argue, which is fair. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I get I it. I guess you could argue they should be above Texas A&M if you want to look at what was that Colorado win a couple weeks ago. Uh, other than that, what has Texas A&M done? Probably nothing much. Um, but beyond that, like, okay, Penn State, I think jumped them. You could probably argue beating Auburn at home um, wasn't worthy of that. Although I listened to and caught a lot of that game after I got home from Bloomington, it seemed like. Penn State got jobbed six different ways in that game by the refs and and still ended up winning apparently like they literally stole it down from them at one point um so maybe that was maybe that was like a little pity pity bump for that <laughs> I think I was been really good so all right if you go from the top they probably shouldn't be above Alabama uh um, Oklahoma you could probably argue should should not be that high after the way they're playing Oregon I think you got to give them a bunch of credit you know if you're giving Cincinnati credit for going into Indiana and beating them, you got to give Oregon credit for going to Columbus and, and beating them. So I think if they're not eighth, they're you know maybe six at most right now. The the thing I would just say for for Bearcats fans is there's going to be a lot of opportunities for those teams to lose games moving forward, and and maybe the Bearcats wouldn't have as as many you know opportunities against top tier teams. The counter to that and the worry for Bearcats fans is they don't trust the CFP committee or AP voters or coaches to recognize that and, and move the Bearcats up. And I understand that argument too. Well, we, we heard it here. I think six is a very fair unbiased vote from a man who deserves an AP ballot. Justin Williams. I'll take that. All I don't want, day. I don't want an AP ballot. So <laughs> I'm just saying I'll, I'll take that all day. I think, is, I, I, think I think six, six is would fair. be fair. I think six is fair. Look, there's there's other teams who've who've done some work on their own, you know, on their own uh, their own resume, if you would. I think six is fair, uh, and I appreciate you going right at it and, and giving your opinion on that one. The thing I don't that I think for some reason Cincinnati seems to get dinged, and, and maybe other teams too, and I just am not as attuned to it. Is like you know the whole thing was let's see what they do against Indiana, let's see what they do against Notre Dame. I don't know that other teams are beholden to that. Like, I think it's totally fair if Cincinnati loses to Notre Dame in a couple weeks. Yeah, drop them, you know, to wherever. Drop them a few spots. Why do they have to beat Notre Dame to prove that they, you know, belong? Just deserve the their current team? ranking. Yeah. yeah, like now you finally get to get talked about as a number eight team. My my problem is, and I don't have the statistical We're evidence drop next to prove week. this. That's our problem. I don't have the <laughs> yeah, statistical Yeah, they're definitely going to drop when they're Exactly. Out. They're going to drop for not playing. And historically, I feel like you watch the AP poll in the past, preseason the whole thing is stupid because it's all based on where you start in the preseason so this arbitrary preseason starting point gives you some sort of baked in advantage this is the first season we've ever had the baked in advantage of having a very high preseason ranking so usually if you're a team in the top 10 
and you just keep winning games, unless something, unless you're Clemson and not scoring touchdowns and barely beating Georgia tech, you know, in those kind of situations, you start moving down maybe, but historically, if you win, you keep moving up as other teams in front of you lose. And in the Bearcats case, we're getting none of that benefit that historically has been given to top 10 AP teams. Instead, other schools from power five conferences just get to arbitrarily jump us based on beating another team that may end up very well being the same as Indiana Indiana in the future. So, and I think Hummer at the nail on the head by week, we're going to get dropped, you know, like we're going to end up being like nine, 10 in the country. And that might not be the worst thing if Notre Dame beats Wisconsin. So if this is, if, if you're a Cincinnati fan and you care about the CFP, which again, I would caution fans like, don't put all of your eggs in that basket. It's really hard yeah. to go undefeated. Um, but I get it. I also get like, this is the season for it to happen. So I'm not going to, you know, Un- undefeated. Uh, I'm going to throw, throw a logic bomb here though. Big thick energy. Penn, Penn state beat Alabama, uh, beat Wisconsin, which is one of the reasons they're up there. And they also beat Auburn. Auburn is somehow still ranked. Uh, whatever they Wisconsin takes another loss on the season. Like, shouldn't you just be automatically like, Oh, well, you know what? Uh, Wisconsin's not that good this year. Maybe I, until Wisconsin probably beats Ohio state, like eight to four or something yeah. like that. Uh, That's the thing. Then Ohio state's just not that good this year. <laughs> it's a big win when they need it to be a big win. And then as soon as that team ends up being not good, it doesn't matter. We're not going to rethink how we viewed the team that beat them yeah. in the first place. The whole thing is nonsense. It drives me crazy. It's why I struggle with this college football fandom um, and why the whole thing needs to be completely revamped and redone. And it's a shame that they tabled the, the 12 team playoff talks for now but uh so it goes but cincinnati fans should root hard for notre dame to beat wisconsin because then notre dame will probably jump cincinnati in the rankings when cincinnati's idle and cincinnati will benefit you know again if if you're working from the premise of we're beating notre dame and we're going to be undefeated if that's the way fans are thinking cincinnati will get a bigger jump going into those cfp rankings if they're ranked ninth or tenth and they beat the seventh ranked irish i'm all for that i'm all for it (laughs) You bring it's, that to me all day, every day. I'm in on it. Let's do it. You just crystallized it in my head that the reason college football fans are absolutely insane on Twitter or otherwise is the fact that we're all forced to think like a college football playoff selection committee and they're completely nonsensical and it makes you absolutely insane. So uh, we're, we're all heading to the institution together on this one. <laughs> Justin, we've got a two week, two week by here or a two weeks off for the Bearcats. I, I do. I am curious how you're going to spend those two weeks. What recommendations you have for for yeah, this like, slang this and like listeners? Uh, is this you know? Are you taking some vacation? How are you going to unwind during this this off week? Uh, no, my my family will have uh, a bunch of plans for me next weekend. Uh, I believe I have a one year old birthday party uh, to go to, uh, so I'll, I'll be doing that Saturday. I have a couple, you know, honey do lists around the house because I'll have a Saturday. Um, at home and I won't be traveling or anything. So, and you know, the, the other thing too, is it's not like there's Murray state on the other side of this two week break. There's the Notre Dame game, which has just an outrageous amount of storylines and narratives attached to it. So I'll be, I'll be glad to, you know, hopefully maybe be able to sit back and watch a few games um, next Saturday as I steal away from this one-year-old birthday party. Uh, But there's, there's going to be plenty to talk about. Uh, for the Bearcats, which is good. I, I I would prefer that to the contrary for sure. What do you think the team is locking in on during their bye week? Like, what do you think the point of emphasis is for the Cincinnati Bearcats during this, this two week stretch? 
I mean, probably just like a big Marcus Freeman, Mike Mickens, Brian Kelly dartboard um, in the locker room, and they're just just slinging them, slinging them there. Um, maybe not Mickens. Maybe not Mickens. <laughs> maybe just Freeman and Kelly. How does how does Mickens a- avoid the guillotine in, in this? Uh, you know, former player for the Bearcats. There's nah, a little bit nah, more he's on sentimentality it. there. Nope. No, Playing he's on the it. Devil. Playing right. for the Irish Devils. I was gonna. I'd let Mickens <laughs> skate, but but Brian Kelly. I mean, he's probably like the board and then Marcus Freeman's got like the number 20, you know, like. I, I could see Den Brock just going to like the, the Rocky four cabin out in the wilderness. Like <laughs> this, this is a chance to be a big moment for, for Den Brock, you know, for someone to get the last laugh of all these, all these guys on the other side. And if Cincinnati, Cincinnati is able to pull it out. Um, so I think, I think he'd be someone I'd, I'd love to kind of be in, in his mind uh, for the next couple of weeks, but I don't. I don't know. You know, they obviously realize it's a big game. Um, I don't know if it's going to help them or hurt them psyche wise to have the extra time. Certainly preparation wise is going to help them. But if you're building up this Notre Dame game for two weeks, will that will that make you more antsy? Will it make you more calm? You know, I think I think we're going to find out. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just how do you avoid what happened against Indiana? How do you avoid that slow start? Um, because they're good enough to, to beat Notre Dame to hang with Notre Dame. But again that could have easily been 28 nothing on on saturday and so you don't want to give notre dame a chance to to jump out to that um this is where fickle gets a chance to really shine yeah i think so too yeah i'd I'd say fickle's shining pretty well right now and when you mentioned mike denbrock uh talk about scapegoats talk about a guy who who can't catch a break when this team struggles at all that is the first name that pops up on twitter if the Bearcats are, are struggling, just go ahead and search Mike Denbrock because there are some people ready to just uh, t- take him to the woodshed. Is this is that the expression? How what? How many how many false starts did Denbrock have Saturday? My goodness, he was just jumping all over the place. But <laughs> no, he is. You know, he's there, there's always that person, right? Whether it's a player or or a coach, that's 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 going to get it. Um, it's it's human nature to assign blame to someone. You know that that is our nature, and. At the end of the day, I think the frustration with what they were seeing were, was was the play calling at the beginning of the game of kind of like, I think everybody kept seeing it was like the same thing, but it really wasn't. The fall starts set us back every single play. We would have had first downs had it would not have been for those fall starts. The next play after that was a, a 10, 12-yard pass. It's just we happen to be 15 yards away from, from the first down. You know, so like it is what it is. Uh, what I mean by Fickle's time to shine is, look, we had two games. We had slow starts, whether it be the hype from the big 12 hype of playing Indiana, you got to knock it out. You, you, you can't, you may not be able to pull, you may not be able to pull that off that same kind of win in Notre Dame where you come out that first quarter and go down 14, 14, nothing right off the bat. May not be able to, may, may not be able to pull that. How fast that could have been 28 to nothing. And it's a whole different conversation we're having today. We're talking about what went wrong, you know, not, not the stuff that went right. And that's where I think fickle has the opportunity to shine this week get that out of the kids, get this out of the guys. Look, it's just a game. Don't yeah, hype it up. It's just a game. I'm always impressed. I, you know, I think Fickle has had very few missteps in his time at Cincinnati, but I'm always impressed that I, I feel like he tends to always learn from them and correct or change them, whatever moving forward. Like he's, he's not someone that's too stubborn to make the same mistake twice. I think we saw that with the Ohio state game, you know, a couple of years ago, he went into that and he was like, I don't want to talk about it. He, you know, they didn't let players talk that week. They didn't let it, players do interviews. He was really just kind of weird about it. And he knew, like he knew the storyline that he's going back to Columbus and that was all anyone wanted to talk about. And 
I think he regretted immediately. And that game went sideways for a bunch of different reasons, but I think he realized like, I, I shouldn't have handled it this way. And now I think we're probably going to see that from the Indiana game. We tried to switch up the way we were doing some things on offense. We tried to huddle, we tried to go off the wristband, whatever. And, you know, I don't expect that they'll come out and, and do that same thing against Notre Dame. And as much as there, as everyone involved is going to downplay it on both sides, BK Freeman, you know, whoever, these people care about it. The coaches Their care blood. about it. The they players care, care about it. Their um, blood. Yeah. And it's so it's, you know, it's going to be a, a narrative whether they want to admit it or not. And how either side handles that, I think, will be really interesting. It's not until now that I really thought about how, how massive this would be if we could send Brian Kelly home with a loss. This might be the opportunity to streak through Clifton naked, burn couches, whatever the case may be. Beating, beating Brian Kelly. I'm calling calling B Fox and inviting the whole family down. (laughs) (laughs) There you have it. Um, So we have a week off. The last thing I'll ask for is a recommendation for these college football fans that listen to the podcast. Bearcats, you know, there's not much going on this week for them. What, what national writers or otherwise with the athletic, do you think that fans should go to, to read this week to catch up on, on other things happening in college football? Who are the go-tos for you that you're reading week in week out? Uh, on the college football front. Wow. Well, you know, I'm going to keep it in the family. I got to, I got to give some love to my athletic people. Um, Nicole Auerbeck, I, she actually told me she's going to be in South Bend for the Cincinnati Notre Dame game in a couple of weeks. Um, she's amazing. She does an awesome job. Uh, definitely, you know, keep tabs on her. Chris Vanini, who, you know, has Cincinnati fans know well, because he's kind of the G5 guy for the athletic Um and now they're going to pretend like they don't know him because, you know, the Bearcats are going to the Big 12. That's, that's fine. He'll he'll understand that. But we've he, had him he on wrote a, before. We, we've had him on before. And, and we like Chris Vanini. I like he's that. awesome. He had a really good piece about like what the group of five is going to do realignment wise now that the Big 12's um, moving along. And I, I got to shout out the guy who could probably drink for free for a long time in Cincinnati, who is Max Olson, who who broke the Big 12 story um, and who, you know, by by product of just doing his job and reporting is like a cult hero now in, in Cincinnati because he he put the first like Cincinnati's going to the Big 12 feelers out into the into the water. Um but it's it's cool working at a place like the athletic where there are people who are so much more like tapped in and insidery and and you know just know history but things going on more than me and like being a kind of a small part of what Max was was doing and Sam Khan and, and Bruce Feldman, Andy Staples, Chris, everybody on those, the big 12 stuff. But like, it was cool to just kind of be able to watch like Max do what he was doing. He, he sent me like a text right before he put out that first story and was like, Hey, I'm about to report this. And like that, it was cool to watch him, like watch him do his work and then see it like from a Cincinnati perspective, how it kind of blew up after that. So much love to, to Max Olson as well. That is really cool. Have you ever gotten feedback from them? I always wonder with these national writers, especially because of how passionate college football is and and the fans are, do they, I know they reach out to you a lot for, for bits and pieces when they're writing stories that may involve Cincinnati. Do they ever like, you know, talk behind the scenes about like, Hey, this fan base, like what's the, what's the deal with these people? Like the, do they ever have opinions on that front? Like, cause I know everybody's in their mentions when they, when they dare to write something that's contrary to the, 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 oh yeah! The, don't talk bad about Bearcats. Whatever the reality is in our specific Bearcat world, and if they're if they're contradicting that in any way, shape, or form, people are definitely letting them know about that. 
do you ever hear from them like opinions on that kind of stuff? Do they are they checking mentions? Do they have takes on fan bases? Do they have takes on Cincinnati? Uh, what do you hear on that front? Oh, definitely. And and certainly like somebody like Vanini, who, you know, might write more about it or be more attuned to it than others, he he certainly is aware. But it's it's just funny because like I know there's a bunch of Cincinnati fans who um just can't stand Stu Mandel and will like, you know, <laughs> go after him on Twitter. And yep, Stu Mandel gets it from every <laughs> single fan base in the country. And so he just like I don't even think Cincinnati registers anywhere near like the, the top of the list of like what yeah. is up with these people. I mean, and then you like you can go just even crazier, like some of the stuff last year, you know, the way fan bases were responding to like the Big Ten reporting and, and stuff like that, like it w- was was wild. So, you know, I try to and like to think that I have like a, a, a pretty thick skin or just not pay too much attention to that stuff. But I can't even imagine like what the national people get from that level. But also just in general, like, you know, I get excited when I have like a, a, a transfer, you know, like source breaking news thing. Bruce Feldman, Nicole Fowerback, those Nicole Allerback, those people will break more news in a day than I will break in my lifetime. And so I'm always kind of like in awe of, of just how much information people like that have, have flowing in. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly think the thing I will say that I think has been noticed um, talking to some of those other writers is how crazy the, the past couple of years have, have been for, for Cincinnati. And part of that involves basketball too, but you know, like I was about to touch on that. If you just start talking to them about like how how the past couple of years have gone, I think they realize like man, it hasn't hasn't been boring at Cincinnati by any means. Can I ask you one one question? Because I feel like I do sense the the wrap up time here. I know you said you wanted to go watch the you know rewatch the game. You were like the first local Cincinnati reporter to report. In my and I, and I say this in not facetiously as, as truthfully and honest and uh, as respectfully as possible. Like you were the first one to actually say what was actually going on behind the scenes with the University of Cincinnati's basketball program, with what was going on with John Brandon, the players, some of the reactions behind there, the feelings that were going on. And it seemed like at the time that you reported it, everybody else in, in our local media landscape was against you. It was Justin Williams versus the world. What what was the reaction that you felt when when that all kind of came out and you did report that story that there was some turmoil that guys were actually considering transferring and you know that it almost seems like like what what was your what was going on in your mind in your world? Yeah, it was it was obviously crazy, um, and I and I one hundred percent appreciate like the the Cincinnati fan base has been so unbelievably good to me since since I started working on the beat and they subscribed to the athletic and they've you know supported me and the company and like I'm eternally grateful for that it's why I can continue to do the job but you also when you're when you're reporting you have to not get too like wrapped up into I guess what the public response is you can't completely ignore it because you know if if you're writing something and every you know there's this outpouring of people who are telling you you're a moron like Maybe they're not wrong. Maybe, maybe you are a moron, but a situation like that, I knew it was going to be emotional and incendiary because of like the nature of it. And so my whole thing, the entire time, and and look, I was, let's be honest. I was thinking about this from um, a work perspective too. Like, you know, I realized by writing the story, I'm, I might be losing some access or, you know, burning some bridges to people that I might have to, to work with now. 
in some cases that didn't turn out to, to be the case ultimately, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, so the thing that I always uh, was thinking throughout the entire process was like, make sure you're right. Make sure your reporting is solid um, and you're going to have to deal with everything else. So as long as I, you know, there's a bunch of stuff I, I heard um, or that, you know, was kind of rumored that I didn't write a report because I didn't feel like I, I had it solid. So that was always my thing is like, before you even think about the fallout or whatever comes next, just make sure you're doing your reporting, make sure you're rock solid and anything you put out there publicly. Um, and it, it, that's always the case, but obviously in a situation like that, it's, it's just a lot more sensitive and heightened. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was a weird time um, for sure. And that was, that was just always kind of the thing I kept coming back to. Um, you guys were, you guys were very kind. Um, and just in terms of the way it all played out and, and I appreciate that, but you, you don't do it for, you know, to, to be first or to be right. Like, yeah. What we're yeah or, or to be vindicated matter, right? or compliments yeah. you like you do the job and that's, you know, one of the things I can't even remember who it was, but I remember somebody in college was like, you know, the job is to write interesting shit and move on and like not get too wrapped up about it and so that that's always something i try and keep in mind whether it's good times or bad times a big story or a small story like don't get too self-invested or self-inflated right interest right interesting shit and move on right but that is the exact situation that popped into my head when you were telling the story about the national writers feeling this backlash from fan bases and you also threw in a nice little it's not even a jab to cincinnati but the answer to the question was we're not even on their on their radar at this point with fan bases based on who else is out there in the national landscape. But I did wonder like that had to be the story that you wrote where you're getting the most amount of external noise and feedback. And, you know, this is complete BS. And there's a lot of, you know, Twitter accounts created from Northern Kentucky that happened to be, you know, they've gone away ever since, but yeah, that was a hell of a story. Hell of a time. Glad we're moving on. I think the basketball season, I imagine you're going to start covering that in a couple of weeks here. Um, new era, new dawn. It's going to be great. That's right. Actually, I have a like the the season, big season preview state of the program that we always do for for football, the basketball ones um, coming out soon. I'm working on that. And yeah, I think they start like official practice, if not next week, the week it's sometime in September because it's like 42 days out from your first game. So as as crazy as it seems, because everyone's so locked in on football as, as they should be with the number eight team in the country, basketball is not far away. Well, we'd be love great. to have you. Love to have you on after after your preview drops, and you know, get into the nerdy stuff about basketball. You know, let's get into these rotations. Let's see what the <laughs> let's see what you know. What what do the coaches know? What do you know? Who's starting? Who's not? All that good stuff. Love love your work. I I asked very recently. I asked uh, Coach Wes Miller what his starting five was, and and he laughed at me. <laughs> so we uh, and- we had Dermar on and kept asking like specific questions and he just kept answering with we got to see him play we got to get him in practice and see him play you know it's way too early <laughs> we don't blah, even know blah, what blah. we have yet coach they don't are, know what he has they are very excited about the the guys and it seems like a good group of, of players and we went to fan fest i think you were at fan fest too it was a mm-hmm. uh it, it, it's a good way of getting the fans excited i thought the event itself was fantastic any word or is there going to be a midnight madness or that type of event through the school i I don't know for sure. I don't think there's any plans right now to do a midnight madness, which is why I'm glad they're able to do that fan fest. Um, and there there's, there's reasons for it. Um, 
but I, I so hope that might change. That would be great if they're able to have something, but I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to, to do that this season. Are there any injuries right now on the team that are, have not been announced formally? I mean, I'm sure there is, but there's nothing. No there's big nothing injuries. That, no, I don't think anything that's like that they're immediately okay. worried about. Good deal. Are you trying to fish for something? No, yeah, I was. Victor Locken was like uh, missing from a lot of like videos and and things that I thought I would have seen him working out in or, or playing in. And I think the international guys couldn't play in Fan Fest. No, they but, couldn't. Yeah, so it was, I was a, just, it was a visa thing with NIL. That's why um, Abdul couldn't either. But no, Vic Vic was banged up earlier this uh, this off season, but um, he's he's been he's been working he- out healthy so. for the season, as far as I know. Nice. Okay. All right, Justin. Well, again, you could find Justin's work on The Athletic. He's been extremely generous to us with his time tonight, but also coming on the pod many times before this. We appreciate you, um, you know, coming on this this little podcast to talk to the people about what you got going on and what you know about the Bearcats. Subscribe to The Athletic. Go check it out. He shared several writers that make it worth the membership. Um, I I personally find it to be um, one of my best investments in terms of sports coverage uh, that one can have. So check it out. Justin, thanks again for coming on the Cincy Slangin' Podcast. Thanks, guys. Always appreciate it. Appreciate it, man.